Let me read this. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Sorry, Eric, I really threw you off. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, we are in the last week of Christian warfare. And you know, it's been a joy and really a sovereign timing, hasn't it, to talk about spiritual warfare for these weeks. It was something that I had planned not the beginning of this year, but last year. And I think it's been incredibly appropriate for me personally, as well as for the church, as well as really for the whole world. And I want to remind you of something that Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, again, he's the pastor of Westminster Chapel, and uh, really an, a, a, just a wonderful expositor of God's word, one of his main points has always been, and I've repeated it throughout the series, is when Paul speaks from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 on about spiritual warfare, about Christian warfare, he's reminding us that the, the spiritual world is our ultimate true reality, and the physical world is a reflection of that reality. And we tend to see it in the opposite direction. And because of that, it really does us a disservice of seeing what is true, what is happening in our lives. And so often we get caught up with what is happening in our physical lives that we completely ignore the spiritual realm. And I do think Martin Lloyd-Jones is right. He's saying that, and he's really essentially saying what Paul's saying here is that this, this battle, this fight, is it, it's not against flesh and blood. It really is against principalities and powers. And as we talked about last week, every aspect of the armor was to gear up for this battle. But prayer is not part of that armor because it really is the foundation upon which we put the armor on. It's the other end. It's the other bookend of the be strong in the power of his might and the strength and power of his might. The way that we are being strong in the strength and power of his might is by praying. Prayer is the means by which we reflect what it means to be strong. And last week we spoke about essentially the basis of prayer and why that is so essential personally. And now it's also, what does it mean to pray for one another? To pray for, as Paul puts it, all the saints. And when he speaks of prayer, Paul often uses, and so often we don't see it necessarily in the English, but in the Greek, it's usually plural when he's speaking about this. That is that we're to pray together for one another, together, constantly, persistently. And there is a power in that. And there's a privilege in that. We get to do this. And God loves it when his people come to him in prayer. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we do come here expectantly because you love the prayers of your people. You love them not because they're articulate, well-spoken, 
not because they're filled with grand theological terms, but the sole reason you love to hear them is that they're covered by your son's blood, that you hear them on the basis of our adoption through Jesus Christ, your own son. Because of that, your prayers are, you, you always answer prayer, always. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, but you always answer because you always want to answer what is best and right and most deeply soul-satisfying to us. Help us now to have eyes of faith to actually believe that to be true. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Author Megan Hill, in her book Praying Together, tells of the, the time that she would attend these prayer meetings in college. And what she would do is, as a college student, as a 19-year-old college student, she would go to this small little church in her, in her college town. And despite being new to the area and having traveled to go to college 500 miles away where there's no family around, on uh, Wednesday evening, she went to this church basement to this prayer meeting that she had heard about. And she walked downstairs and she sat down and there was just one table, no one around. And so she's sitting there thinking, am I at the wrong place? Is this right? And then slowly but surely, people would start coming in. A few people, not many, but a few. At this long table came two farmers and their wives. And then came another elderly couple in matching square dance outfits. <laughs> And then another man who was a middle-aged man was the pastor. And that's it. And then a 19-year-old college student, woman. And you can imagine every one of them, at least 15 years or older than her, all of them having kids and grandkids, their culture, their background, everything was different. And she shared she wanted to just take off. And she felt absolutely uncomfortable, but she stayed and she prayed. And then she went back the next Wednesday night and the next and the next. And pretty soon praying with these fellow saints, God was knitting their souls together, tying them together to the point where they became friends. And then eventually they became family. And after many years, many, many years, she still communicates with them, prays for them, and in essence, prays with them. And I do think that so often when we hear about revival meetings and grand revival movements of church history, they're not begun in a large conference filled with thousands of people and fog machines and fancy lights and blaring music, they're often found in a church basement with a few people on their knees, praying faithfully and regularly, sometimes for weeks on end, sometimes years on end, such as the Great Haystack Student Revival Movement. There are so often times where God answers the prayers of his people with not many people, but faithful people praying together. And that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians six eighteen is that when God's people gather together, pray together, 
with many different forms and elements, he uses them to bring about the grandest movements of God. So I'd like to examine this verse by looking at just two aspects. First is the traits of what it means to pray together as saints. And second, some of our practices for our specific church and how I propose we can do this together. So first, some of the traits. Again, let me read one more time verse 20 and verse 18. Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So the question becomes, what does it look like when we are making supplication for all the saints? I want to note that first, such prayer is relational. It's relational. Praying for one another signifies two types of relationship. One, our relationship to God. And second, our relationship to one another. And I look at a, a passage that Paul writes in Galatians 4, 6, and he says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I spoke about this same verse last week, which is that, that verse that Paul says, it ties in together our relationship to God, which actually causes us to pray as sons, as daughters. Prayer with the Spirit of the Father's Son means that we know full well that because of all that Christ has done for us, that that work, that substitutionary work, atoning work on the cross, allows us to gather together and know we are God's children. Because you are sons, because that is a truth you know, we can pray. No matter how feeble, how inadequate our prayers might seem. And sometimes truly that is the case. Actually, I would say most of the time we know that our prayers are absolutely inadequate. And perhaps sometimes you hear a person praying, you think, wow, that person's prayer is beautiful. And then you hear yourself and you're stumbling over your words. That's in public prayer, but even in private prayer can be like that. Well, we know that our Father hears our prayers not because the words are so beautiful and descriptive, well put together, but it's because you are sons and daughters. That's why God hears your prayers. That relationship is what we can be assured that our prayers are being heard. We can be confident of it. So then when Paul moves from praying as sons, as daughters, he says in our passage that we can pray all kinds of prayer. Verse 17, we can pray knowing that there is a progression of that prayer. It's an outward progression. It impacts not just us internally, but it actually moves outward. That's how prayer must be. You know, you look at the Lord's prayer and it is that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer moves outward. Think of it this way. Imagine your prayer is like this really big rock and it's tossed, in, tossed into the middle of a pond. And the impact of that type of Christ-centered, um, rooted 
prayer on our adoption as sons and daughters, the impact of that is that it ripples out. And sometimes if you were to just go into a very calm pond and you were to take that rock and you throw it into the middle of the pond, you'd be surprised as to how far that rippling effect goes. If you were to examine the stillness of that pond and see how far the ripple goes, it actually goes quite far, very, very far. And I want to use that metaphor to think of our prayers that way. Prayer has this ripple effect that goes even to the ends of the earth. And it matters deeply. What you are doing in a closet, on a drive, walking to school, working out, wherever you are, if you are praying as a son or daughter of God, God hears that and it it goes all across the world. Prayer reminds us that we are dependent on God and we actually care for others. John Wesley says this, there is nothing more unchristian than the solitary Christian. There is nothing more unchristian than the solitary Christian. And prayerlessness is a solitary Christian. If we are prayerless, we are solitary because we think we can do everything in our lives on our own strength. Prayer reminds us that we're dependent. We need God, that we can't do anything, that no matter how smart, how experienced, how intelligent, how many people you know, how strategic you are, if we are prayerless in that work, then we're solitary. And actually, we're unchristian because Christians are rooted. They're abiding in the vine. They know Jesus. We are tied into him. And what shows us that is prayer. Prayer reminds us that we're tied into the king. And because of that, we aren't solitary. We are together. So know this is that the more we pray, the more we show our dependence towards God and the more we show also our dependence and our, our unity with others, which is where we're going next. We are united. Prayer is a vital expression of our unity. When we pray together, we are together. How do we most heed Paul's call to the church to rejoice together and suffer together? How do we do that most? Because we're not together all the time. And certainly during this time of COVID, it's not like I'm looking and seeing all of you here. How then do we suffer together and rejoice together, especially at a time where we can't physically meet together? We pray for one another. Prayer is the number one means by which we show our unity together. And we bear our burdens. Every one of the one another's that Paul references, such as Galatians 6.2, the main means by which we bear one another, one another's burdens is to pray for one another. And when we don't pray for one another, we don't bear one another's burdens. This takes personal sacrifice, time, effort, intentionality. But when we intercede, we care, we love. We not only pray for one another to show our unity, we ask for prayer from one another to show our unity. To not ask is to assume you can do everything on your own. 
Asking is hard. Ask someone for help financially. Ask someone for help monetarily or through um, any type of need in your life. We generally don't want to because it shows dependence. But I would say that it is absolutely so difficult to ask for prayer. So few of us do it because it requires humility. It requires, why do I need to ask for prayer? I can do this by myself. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.13 this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What Paul's saying here is that every one of us struggles with the same temptations, the same struggles. So we have to remember that one of the things that keeps us from asking for prayer is this sense of shame. This feeling that if we actually ask for prayer, we're showing and revealing our weakness. Well, Paul's saying, everybody's weak. Everybody suffers with the same sins and the same temptations. So if we all suffer from the same sins and temptations, why are we afraid or ashamed or guilty to say, hey, I really need prayer because I'm struggling with laziness. How many of us ever ask for prayer about laziness and procrastination? Or I'm struggling with envy and jealousy. (laughs) Wow. It's hard to ask for prayer about that. Or I'm really struggling with gossip. I'm really struggling. I really have a mouth that wants to know what's happening in other people's lives and want to share it. We don't ever want to say that. As Jerry Bridges calls those the respectable sins. They're not that bad. No, they're really bad. But you know what? This verse tells us that we all struggle with the same sins. So we should be asking for help. Every one of us should. Please pray for me about this. So I would say that the enemy's scheme is always to make us think that we're the only one who does this. And if someone else finds out what I'm struggling with, then they're going to judge us. They're not going to show us mercy and grace. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, We all struggle with this. So let's ask. Now, lest we think that, but Paul never asked for prayer. Let me show you a few things. Paul and James. 1 Thessalonians 5.25. Brothers, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brothers, pray for us. James 5.14. If anyone among you is sick, Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. You know, wow, this is a time where no one wants to ask for prayer when you're sick. We don't want anyone to know that we have, shall I say the dreaded word, COVID-19. Because if someone knows that we have that, then everyone's going to judge them. And, you know, we have modern day leprosy. I'm so thankful, Luke tells us the story of Jesus going up to the leper. And by the way, leprosy was far worse than COVID, you know, in terms of the way that it appeared. It's a physical manifestation. And Jesus, when the leper had to go outside the camp and they had to live outside Jesus, this one leper is coming say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he goes and he, what does he do? He touches him. Something you never did to a leper. 
I hope we pray and ask for prayer if we actually have COVID. And I hope that people go and actually pray and are not fearful of someone. And then when they actually return, I hope we're not fearful of actually welcoming them or we are no different than all the whole people saying, oh, you can't go near that leper. Don't go near the leper. My friends, let us not be hypocrites. Let us run and hug the leper. So we need to ask for prayer. And then sec- lastly, 2 Corinthians 1.11, you, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What a wonderful verse. Let, you, must, you also must help us by prayer. The key, help, prayer, they go together. What is the greatest help we can have when people are praying for us? And we have to ask for it so that many will give thanks. Many will give thanks on our behalf. May you ask for prayer. When you ask for prayer in faith, it draws you near to others. And it brings a unity. It puts you into their lives. It brings about empathy. When uh, Bill and Judy Farley had spoken about marriage a long time ago, one of the things that they had shared is that in all their years of counseling married couples, they had never, ever heard of a married couple getting a divorce who regularly every night prays together, who are praying for one another and lifting one another up. And the reason is because prayer is a humbling and I think for any married couple who is, has prayed together and for one another, you know that when you're in the middle of a conflict and you actually say, let's pray together, <laughs> it is very hard to pray arrogantly and self-centeredly when you're praying before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this assumes that you are a child of God. This assumes that you believe that he gave his life for you, that there is nothing that you come to him righteously before. So when you come before the king, and even though you're in the middle of a conflict, but then you you go on your knees and you say, you pray even with anger still just simmering in your heart towards that other person, it is so hard to keep that anger before the king. Because you're looking at that cross and you're saying, I can't still be angry or else I am the worst of sinners. I am a hypocrite. I don't understand. So unity. George and Carolyn, they've actually said the same thing as well. They pray together every night. And I, I remember George telling me the story of where he and uh, Carolyn so often they would be exhausted. And sometimes it would be a one word prayer, a sentence prayer, but they always pray together. Praying together unites two people together, it unites a church together. When we pray together as a church, we are united as a church. We are, and we are coming together. But prayerlessness disunites the church. It keeps us separate. And you know the enemy, he's all about separation. He's done it from the very beginning in the garden. He continues to do it to the end of his days. But prayer draws us near. It protects us. Prayer is protective in its unity. 
Next is perseverant. We must persevere in our prayers together for all the saints. Romans 12, 12. Be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer together perseveres and is watchful because it is tempting to give up praying for people. Why? Because we don't see results. Not in our time. We are too result-driven in a material world. And so, again, when we think about it from a spiritual perspective, with spiritual eyes, when we are praying, remember, there is a war being raged and, and the battle is just ensuing. And so that prayer is making a difference, but it is a battle. And so let us not so quickly give up because, well, they're not changing. So I'm going to stop praying because it's not working. That's the problem is that we have this idea of prayer leads to this work that we have determined how it should work and the timing upon how it should work. And when that happens, we completely neglect God in the process. We're praying for ourselves and that's it. But instead, prayer is faith. We trust God is doing the work, and we also trust he will answer. He never uh, fails to answer prayer, the prayers of his people. But sometimes God says no. Sometimes the waiting is exactly why God wants us to pray. And that waiting is inherent with dependence. That's sometimes exactly what God wants. He wants you to grow in dependence on him. And the waiting is the, the refining process of all of that. Quick results oftentimes leads to faithlessness, self-exaltation rather than trust. I really like the way Edmund Clowney, he's a pastor and biblical commentator, he says, you haven't heard the cry of the son until you've heard the father who didn't answer. You haven't heard the cry of the son until you've heard the father who didn't answer. What was that cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father didn't answer. Prayer so often has that. So let us not think that, well, God, why don't you answer? God always answers. We can be assured of that because God didn't answer his son. In Luke 11, 5 through 8, Jesus tells the parable of a friend who knocks on his friend's door at midnight asking for bread. And Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's the persistence. It's the impudent persistence. And amazingly, our father delights in that. And he will provide what you need, your very best, his very best for you. You can be confident of that, but persist, persevere, do not give up. Lastly, praying for all the saints is gospel advancing. Do you know that when you pray for the persecuted church, for missionaries locally and globally, for the lost locally and globally, you are doing the work of advancing the gospel. And like that rock 
that drops in the middle of the pond, the rippling effect where it goes out even to the edges of that pond, you might think, is this really making a difference? Well, it goes to the ends of the earth. So much of what is happening globally is happening right in your own prayer closet or with a small group of people praying, interceding. When we ask you to pray for our global partners, we're not asking that we do nice Christian acts. We're asking you to fight. We're asking you to battle on behalf of those who are fighting the fight of faith all around the world. We're asking you to wage war, to engage in battle that is deadlier than a nuclear war. But you can fight right here, right now, wherever you are. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, 38, that we must pray to the Lord of the harvest when he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We plant seeds of the gospel through prayer and we fight the fight of faith. I want to read to you a passage that I read before in this series that Paul is clearly referencing in this passage from Ephesians 6, and it comes from Isaiah 59. In verses 16 and 17, Isaiah says, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. When I reference this passage, you can see how the clear tie-in of these armor pieces, the righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation. So Paul, in referring to that in Ephesians 6, has those in mind when he says, put them on. But when I referred to it last time, I had shared how Isaiah shows that it's not we who put them on, it's the Messiah who puts them on. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. He put on a helmet of salvation on his head. So it is first and foremost Jesus, the Messiah, who by his righteousness, by him doing the work of salvation, is the means by which we now are able to also put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. So that's how I referred to it last time. But I didn't point out verse 16, the previous verse, and that's really important. So if we could go back to the verse 16, it says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And that's why Jesus had to act. No one was interceding. No one was praying. No one cared. This was at a point in Israel's history where there was an apostasy so deep that very few were praying to God. So many had abandoned the covenant, had turned away from the Father. No one was interceding anymore. Everyone had forgotten him. And the way that the apostasy most showed itself was no one was interceding. No one was praying. It was prayerlessness. Everyone was still going to the temple. They were still sacrificing. 
but their heart was far from God and it expressed itself in prayer or prayerlessness. So the Messiah had to come. Praise be to God for that. It's a tragedy, but let me just express two thoughts from this passage. First, how we must be the people who intercede. May it never be that there is no one to intercede. May it never be that, and I'm so thankful that Jesus came, but may it never be that no one intercedes because God uses the intercession of his people to impact lives. Do you remember a few weeks ago we prayed that George, who was going into, if you've been following the Echo Prayer app, um, I had asked for prayer, uh, George did, as he went into a village in Zambia. It was a village that was covered with witchcraft. It was just huge stronghold. Churches had failed in doing so. We had, when I heard that, posted it, we, many were praying for George and, and that village. Amazingly, there was an incredible work that was done. First of all, interestingly enough, there was a snake that they had killed in that village. They crushed its head. I have a picture of it. And I think I, I don't know if I posted, I didn't post it there. I told some people I posted it. And he, George sent me this picture of this crushed snake's head. And after that, there was a lifting of the darkness, spiritual darkness. And it wasn't just that they killed a snake, but it, as we see in Genesis chapter three, it really is symbolic because as people are praying, as there's this war that's being raged, and you might think, come on, is that really, is that true? Well, Paul makes it so clear that we have to see the world through spiritual eyes or we are going to succumb to a, a grave deception and a scheme of the enemy. So as we're praying for this village and praying for George, there was a lifting of that darkness. You know, people were being baptized in that village. This is something that happened not that long ago. Do not think that our fight of faith through prayer has no impact. What you are doing on your knees or gathering with a group of people to pray, we are fighting and battling. And trust me, when that happens, Satan, that's the last thing he wants. And so thankful that we had the opportunity and privilege of praying for the Dings, praying for Eric and Meg who, who were in Africa, praying for Pastor Gabi, praying for Steve and Naime, praying for George, praying for unreached peoples. Please continue to pray. Never give up. May it never be that there is no one to intercede. Secondly is, when we falter in praying, I'm so thankful Jesus never falters. Because when it was at its bleakest in Israel's history, he came. The Messiah was promised. He bore the breastplate of righteousness. He bore the helmet of salvation. He does the work. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even the greatest tragedy and suffering the world would ever know, which is Jesus Christ, God's beloved son, bearing the crushing weight of our sins and the dereliction of his son would not keep Jesus from saving sinners like us. Even when no one prays, no one cares, 
No one loves God anymore. Christ overcame all that. So in this, we see such good news. For me, it's a compulsion and a conviction to say, Lord, I don't ever want it to be where no one is interceding. May we have the heart of Joshua. Even if all of you turn and worship other gods, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Their God always keeps a remnant. We see it when 7,000 did not bow down to Baal, when Elijah thought, I'm the only one left. When God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham was saying, even if there's 10, 50, 150, 10, God says, yeah, I won't destroy it. But he does. But there's still righteous Lot. There's still Abraham. God always keeps a remnant. But even if God were not to, God sent his son. God sent his son. And so we pray. May we never cease to pray. In all circumstances, may we pray. Let me just highlight a few practical ways that I want us to consider praying together. First, I know I've mentioned this many times, but you know the Echo Prayer app? Like I said, we used to use the prayer wall as a church on our website, but due to some security issues, we had to stop doing that. Um, and I, I'm, it saddened me a lot because it was actually people were praying and you see the responses and and we use that quite often, even in our prayer meetings, to actually pray together. So many said, how can, is there something else? So we just, we came up with this idea. It's a, it's a means by which we pray together. You post prayer requests and we, and then you pray. And actually I get this notification. This many people prayed for these topics. And every time I see that it, it honestly makes me pray. It does. Actually, if I haven't done that app and I get that, that notification, I'm like, oh, I gotta pray. And it just reminds me, I need to pray. So if you're not on that and you're not receiving those notifications, I really want you to reach out and say, hey, I'm not receiving that. I really want to be on that. Please help me so that I can pray together because I can't go out. Maybe you, you're a person who has, um, you know, there's, there's, you're vulnerable. There's all these issues. But one thing you can definitely do is you can pray. You can pray. And you can ask for prayer. So post on there and say, I need prayer. And that's a humble but God-glorifying way why how we come together. So you, you pray and you ask for prayer. Secondly is we used to do this a while ago, which is we used to have morning prayer. But due to the fact that we didn't have a building, we couldn't do morning prayer. Well, get ready. It's coming back. And I tell you, it's hard. <laughs> Up front, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But we will be coming back with morning prayer once we get occupancy, full occupancy of this building in terms of with the city. And uh, we'll start on Tuesday and Thursday mornings from 6.30 to 7.30. And so we will pray together and really want to ask that you join in praying together. And then also once we get occupancy, we'll at least have one night of prayer a month, of prayer and worship, of being able to praise to sing, to join together, and to pray together. Really long for that day. That'll be exciting. And then lastly is so many of you are in discipleship groups, gospel communities, prayer groups, one-on-ones. 
Use those net. Please take every opportunity you can to pray together. Short prayers, long prayers, recited prayers, prayers of scripture, spontaneous prayers, extemporaneous prayers, prayers of all kinds in the spirit. God uses that. But pray. Let me just close with this quote by Martin Luther. Guard yourselves against those false deluding ideas which tell you, wait a little while, I will pray in an hour. First, I must attend to this or that. That is a false deluding idea. Wait a while. I'll pray after. If you have an I'll pray after dot, 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 ellipsis, then you're not going to pray. It doesn't matter what it is. Instead, as soon as you have a heart to pray, that's the Holy Spirit. As soon as you get a prompting to pray, if there's anything that you look at, a notification on your phone that says, you got an email, you got a text, don't look at it. The prompting is the Holy Spirit. The distraction is the enemy. And even if at that moment you say a short prayer, pray. If you ever are in a conversation with a friend and you're tempted to say, you know what, I, I'm going to pray for you. I really want to encourage you to say, can we pray right now? Because here's the thing is when you say, I will pray for you, I want to ask you, if you're honest with yourself, how often do you actually pray for that person? 10% of the time? 50%? 70%? Well, it could be 100% if you say, can I pray for you right now? Can we pray over the phone together? Rather than, see, it's always a delusion to say in a little while, soon, later. It's always the enemy. But it's the spirit who says, pray right now. Pray right now. Guarantee you, it's never the enemy who says, pray right now. Never. God never, I mean, Satan is never trying to get you to pray immediately. He's always trying to push you off. So let's pray. Let us pray, Wellspring. We're going to pray together. Um, let's join together. I want to give you a few moments, maybe even one or two minutes of just praying with those around you. If you're at home, could you pray for with your family? Take about two to three minutes and pray together. For those of you who are here, you're in your family groups. If you're alone, pray with a few people. Can you just take some time, two minutes, two to three minutes, pray together with each other? And let's do that because I really want to practice what we preach. Turn into a little circle, go together, pray together. We're going to, if you're at home, go in a circle, pray together, pray with each other. Okay, let's do this. Father, it is good to pray together and for one another. Help us, O oh Lord, to come on our knees, standing in all different contexts to be able to worship you, to delight in you, and to remember that you are so faithful, so good. And so, Lord, as we desire to fight this fight of faith, to impact the world for the sake of Christ, may it never be so that there is no one to intercede. May it never be the case. Would you raise up our whole church to be a, a church of intercessors? 
Help us, O Lord, to humble ourselves, to ask and request prayer more regularly. Help us to pray for one another. Help us to believe with eyes of faith that you are absolutely true in your promises. We know that with assurance because of Jesus. And we just delight in your name. We come together. We thank you, O God. We worship you. We want to know you. We want to delight in you. In Jesus' name we pray.